0: Today's guest is one who has stood out to me through his intellectual knowledge of so many things ranging from spiritual to mysticism to music strange travel adventures and many more getting a wide perspective on the world through his own experiences it gives me great pleasure to introduce James Austin James it's a privilege to have you on the show today thank you for taking the time out to come on how are you my friend.
1: Life is good. I've uh, come out into the quiet countryside of southeastern England to get as little noise as possible for the call. So I've just been wandering around all day really, you know, doing odds and sods, wandering, reminiscing, exploring the woods. It's a pretty chill day, pretty chilled out. Do you
0: normally go out into the country a lot?
1: I do kind of still live in the country, so (laughs) yes, but this is deep country. I rarely get the privilege of going out along the North Downs Way, which is like a, a local trail that covers the hills that run the ridge of Kent and I rarely get to go out there and explore to any big extent so when I do I always end up a bit, a bit late but fortunately that hasn't happened today so they were That's kind. Great,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I do love the country it's always just um uh, I guess a getaway from such a busy uh, I know it might sound a bit um I don't know the word for it um the cliche life of the city and everything Mm. and you can really decompress out there i feel
1: yeah cliches are cliches because they work it's true i mean i try to always take a a bit of knowledge of nature with me wherever i go so i'll always know where the nearest park is in case i need to do that if i'm in the middle of a town but nothing beats a long walk i don't think
0: i know you can just decompress feel the fresh air have a nice backpack on you with some travel provisions and just explore and decompress. I love it.
1: Ah, provisions. That's where I've been going wrong, you see. (laughs) I try to aim more for the the country pubs rather than pack a a huge amount. (laughs) It's random, you know, I just kind of, the moment takes me and I just walk off.
0: And that's the wonderful thing, you know, sometimes in life, the moment can take you to incredible places. And those, those are some stories that you'll never, ever forget, really.
1: Yeah, 100%. There's always the ones that you want to take the most pictures of, but you always end up taking the least pictures of. So you're telling the story to someone and you're like, oh, I swear I've got a photo of it. And it turns out you don't, because obviously you were two in the moment.
0: Yeah, and you just wish they were there. It's really frustrating. But yeah. I, I've been there so many times before, buddy. Don't worry.
1: Sign of a good life. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so uh, as a fan to, of the show, um, to ease you into the show, um, uh, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the first question so um, when you were younger what were some of the things that opened your eyes to a new perspective on how much positivity and perspective the world can offer you as a person
1: well I think one of the things that defines when you're young it, it's kind of a staple of teenage drama young adolescence. you know everything seems like the world is ending when there's a minor setback so if you have a, a breakup it's like well the world's over I'm not going to have it that good again or if you're you find some bully or an antagonist, not necessarily in school, but in general, you think you're never going to get away from them. And time, if you let it do its work, you know, if you can kind of bite back that urge to destroy things out of pride, to lash out, to say everything you could say, it normally brings those bad situations back around. See, I was thinking, that's probably the second breakup I had. Um was with a, a woman who used to live in Medway. And we ended up, I just didn't say anything back. Okay, I had this kind of sense, all right, I'm going to try doing this as friendly as possible. Although there was a lot we could have said to each other. But we ended up just playing pool about five minutes after the breakup. I lost the pool game. We didn't talk for years. But when we next met up, everything was completely civilized. It was chill. We were friendly. And I think it was because time, it brings a light to the role you play and how things play out. So if you remember it, it rewards mercy, grace, restraint, and it it punishes when you've been destructive purely out of pride because pride can heal itself, but it can't bring back what you've broken. And if you have enough time behind your belt, you overcome that sense where everything's the world ending or the best you'll have is now in the past. You can overcome that. And I think once you've overcome that, you're firmly on track to being an adult. And I would also have to quickly, pardon me, act on, I have to quickly thank my grandmother, Annie, for this kind of deep approach, because her awareness of spirit in any situation, including facing death, it, it seemed to swallow up a lot of life's major horrors, actually. They just it kind of just broke their backs and swallowed them whole. I lost a lot of respect for life's catastrophes when I grew up around her attitude. Is
0: there anything that you feel that you've, like, is there any key lessons that you feel that you may have taken away from her that you can implement Mm. into your own life?
1: Well, I think her attitude in general, I didn't really understand it as a younger teen, but I think that became part of my own sense of eternity. So I'll recall before a rash action, or, well, any action ideally, but especially rash ones, I try to think, okay, there's a much longer picture here than the one in front of my face. And with that attitude in mind, it it kind of masks over those differences of priority you get between surface level need and what's really in your heart, which can do a lot of damage if you leave it unchecked. And if you keep that eternity in mind, you stay consistent, you make better priorities, and you don't talk down or out of step with what really matters to you on on a deeper level, on a longer term scale
0: definitely I, I feel that as well that's a wonderful thing that um, sorry i hope you don't mind me saying that. that's a wonderful no, thing yeah it's um, cuz I, I believe it, i i want to kind of go into it a little bit more as well with um the mysticism but um, mm-hmm. it's it, I, I believe it's you 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 have to go through through some form of destructive way to become a better person Because if you go through life thinking it will all be okay and there's going to be no bumps or um, holes in the road or anything, it's not going to really prepare you for what life is.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, So um, I guess in some aspects, this could tie in with the first question. Um, and I, I believe you may have already touched on it, but how would you say the area you grew up in made you the person you are today?
1: Well, in actual fact, you just touched on it with what you said about undergoing some kind of rebirth. I don't want to be terribly dramatic because that's reserved for the the mysticism section. <laughs> but there's this mismatch. See, the the area I grew up in, it's part of the rural home counties around London. You know, you've got your ancient manors, your woodland, your paddocks. It's literally the shire from lord of the rings well i mean you know, that's oxfordshire but it's the same kind of environment and it was quite uh, a well-off upbringing so i had boats cars private school tutors and travel but we're not really posh you see like there's um family histories recently from inner south london so everything was about going up the social ladder and a lot of the lessons you get when your upbringing is focused on going up the social ladder uh, I wouldn't necessarily say ruthless, but definitely expedient. If you catch my drift, you know, cunning, being acquisitive, even immorals, all highly praised. And in pursuit of material gain, not necessarily always, but in pursuit of material gain, those things can harm the soul. I saw the human cost in myself, in my own intentions, and also in the people around me. So I had friends. Thanks to going to grammar school, I had friends in lower I don't like this language but lower social brackets like drugged in bedsits doing all sorts to make rent runaways who got rehomed opposite ends of the country and I realized it wasn't an accident you know that artificial scarcity it takes root through generations of deliberate economic policy it keeps the comfortable comfortable on purpose and I realized that wasn't something that I actually wanted to uphold with my life there was actually an incident at the uh, Department for Work and Pensions, Okay, because I'm not sure if you know anyone who's ever claimed the personal independence payment. But I went to an interview, and there's this bunch of plummy people, you know, very, very austere voices, proper pronunciation, all that jazz. And they, I saw them deliberately lie to deny a profoundly disabled lady £80 a week if you needed to live. And I don't know if you've heard, um, you probably have, actually, you know, that How Do You Bring a Shotgun to the Party song, or Why Do You Bring a Shotgun to the Party by The Pretty Reckless.
0: That oh, came yes. on <laughs> as I was
1: driving around. Yeah, it is a fantastic song. <laughs> like, I still think about that quite a bit. <laughs> but it came on while I was driving around after this incident. And that line about, do you think they care? You know, it's probably some throwaway line. No one would expect that to be the start of a new approach to anything, really. But, well, no, I didn't. I didn't particularly think they cared. And I didn't think they'd care about what my gut reaction of a response would be. But through paranormal and occult research, I already had one foot in the door of religion. And I decided, OK, I can, I can choose to be more like one of these heroic figures, which naturally, as you probably expect, ended up being Jesus Christ. So you find your strength in sharing, your power in example, your authority in service. People are ends, not means. It, it's an enormous uphill battle and I did keep a lot of the more expedient lessons of upbringing. I don't intend to get rid of them, you know, they're, they're a good edge to have. But no, uh, I think my upbringing kind of showed me who I would not want to be. Jesus and myself made me into who I'm becoming. I wouldn't say I've made myself into who I want to be, but on the way, firmly on track.
0: That's wonderful. One of my previous guests, Emily, as well. And mm-hmm. she, she has a wonderful, profound uh, yes. um, love in her faith as well. And um, I'm, I'm glad that, I guess, it, what you were saying at the end there, that um, your upbringing showed you like, who you don't want to be, mm. in a sense. Um, so I, I guess you could say it, uh, maybe it was from an outsider's perspective that um, you had to sort of take it by your own reins, in a sense. If, if
1: yeah, had it, it had to be made to serve, I think. It could no longer be the driving force.
0: Yeah, and I'm um, touching on what you were saying as well. Um, some, some of them, mat- um, when people aim to get materialistic things, it can be um, a bit of a poison, destruct- poisonous destructive thing. Um, I, I apologise. I can't remember if that was word for word there. No, so. no, it's OK.
1: I'd say both, to be honest. It's more of a, a slow rot. I can talk about the thing that made me really realise how bad a toll it was actually taking. if you want. It's a tiny, tiny bit dark, but it's not terrible.
0: Oh no, please be be
1: my guest. Um, <laughs> well, all the time in the world
0: tonight.
1: <laughs> well, you know the uh the friend in the the drugged end bedsit. It was more of a friend of a friend, really. And I was never an out and out, you know, complete jackfruit of a person, to use a euphemism. I'm not sure if this is a family podcast. But I went into this bedsit, okay, she was a bit of a meth addict. She'd clearly been up to sex work to fund that habit. And I was thinking, my family, property developer, landlord, I was thinking, well, it would be an improvement if I kind of gave her a flat. And naturally, that wouldn't have been free. And it shocked me how quickly I came to that conclusion. Like, did I effectively just say I turned this vulnerable person into a sugar baby? Did that really just come out of my head, you know? And it just stood out as one of those incidents where you, you see yourself... And there's nothing between you and yourself, and you realize I'm actually becoming something of a problem here. <laughs> you know, you've got to get a handle on it. And that's it stayed in my mind. It wasn't the only thing, it wasn't, you know, the, the deepest thing in the world at the time, but it stuck in my head. And it really became a sticking point of saying, okay, if I see myself going in this direction, go in the other direction instead. You know, it's that kind of signpost, I guess.
0: Uh, would you say that's um, that's down to a lot of the willpower that you have and that you um, had to see it for yourself, in a sense?
1: Honestly, willpower came afterward. I had just been rather predisposed to seeing myself as charitable. I've trained willpower since, to a, a large extent, but no, that was pure fear of who I could end up being if I followed down the road. Uh,
0: definitely. I, I, I think sometimes we need to see those examples that actually get put in front of us before our own two eyes and to actually see and say to yourself, you know, I've I've got to stop doing this. Um, you know, I've got to make a change. And some people, unfortunately, they, they can't be like that. Um, Mm. they rely on these things that just keep them going, unfortunately, and not looking for better options. And I believe there's always a better option. Um, it, Mm. it can be from God, you, you could go out and smell the flowers in the grass. <laughs>
1: um, I thought you were or... going to A Walking Dead where she says, just look at the flowers. I then... <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't know God if you've seen no. that. <laughs> now that takes me back, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that would ruin your positivity vibe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so moving on actually now um, I want to move on to a bit of uh, your music because you're a musician mm-hmm. um, So as a musician where did your love of music first begin?
1: Mm, I don't know whether this answer will disappoint you or not but I grew up with a lot of music around me so I, I learned double bass I think from like year four of primary school my tutor John Summerfield incredible man and I kept up the habit before moving to you know, the bass guitar but I didn't really care about music then you see uh, the medway band scene that i used to be part of i was going to gigs with girlfriends primarily you know as a social event i liked the music it was good but i didn't appreciate its significance until i started getting more of a handle on its spiritual nature you see in the the gospel of john it's actually the very first paragraph it says that all humans have a, a divine spark which the darkness has not overcome it's the presence of the the word in the soul and music along with probably compassion and i i'm going to be slightly spicy and say sex i think those are the three most universal ways of exploring that divine spark so that's why i made it part of my daily routine it's kind of like a, a spiritual exercise and i think if i could couch it's value in a sentence which is very much against the grain of this sentence but let's give it a go there's a quote by saint gregory nazianzen like words create idols only wonder understands and i think when wonder understands that's why and when people make art including music so it brings forth what words can't really convey and i think the connection between people it shows really conveys that because i've met fans uh, and that, that sounds like such a weird thing to say i met fans and it, it kind of covered all the bases of what life should look like for me. So you've given your heart and soul to something. It's appreciated. Conversations flowing freely. It's, it's a good life. And that doesn't tend to come from things unless they have that larger-than-life dimension. And music reliably brings it out. So it's always good to see it now. I'm stuck on it. I'm exploring it. I want to learn more about how to make it. But for years, honestly, for years, I... Did not bother with the details of all that. It just sounded good and it attracted people. But now I see it differently, and it's one of the best things in the world.
0: Well, wonderful answer. I mean, I guess the, uh, you kind of, it was like Alice in Wonderland. You fell down the rabbit hole, and once you saw how it all, like the intricate little uh-huh. bits yeah. of, you know, um, time signatures, clicks in the studio, recordings and everything you just really can't come out because you're really immersed in it now
1: (laughs) yeah yeah honestly and the Alice in Wonderland comparison is fantastic because that's a classic mythic trope you know you face the unknown you come away with a part of the unknown within you and you don't really return to normal life that's that's how it works a lot of the time and it does feel like that as well actually quite often
0: Yeah, nothing's really the same after it. I mean, when I go to gigs now, I'm always looking at what type of um, gear they have or how they're coiling jack leads or anything Mm. like that. And like you said, nothing's really been the same since.
1: (laughs) And may many more years of music occur. (laughs) I'm sure they will.
0: Here, my friend. (laughs) Um, So... What are some things you hope that some people will take away from your music in Vampyra? I hope I got that pronunciation correct. I apologise. I didn't. You did.
1: Well, everyone pronounces it differently, to be honest. Like, we are concerned because obviously you have the the lady who's named Vampira and we want to stand out from that because we can't sell merch with that name if it's too similar. So pronounce it how you like it. It will end up being more coalesced but about the music itself i think everyone in the band would probably put their own heart to that question naturally but one thing we all share is a desire to celebrate the abnormal the ugly the shadow so our material's light-hearted we keep it fun but there is a real depth to that desire to make places people and emotions that normally go neglected resonate with us because the point is that while the world might be strange people are often a stranger you can yourself go out and become an Chora in the best ways you know you, you can be your own cryptid and i think we use those motifs to bring us into the unknown and challenge our perception of ourselves and the world which is what makes it ideal for punk but at the same time that gripping and vivid imagery is what brings it out and we like sharing that with people so it's more of an invitation to Celebrate your own mystery and the mysteries of life rather than just hear horror references, which of course you can do if that's your thing, but it's not the deepest we go with it. And speaking of deepest, actually, I should add I don't think the other members of the band are quite aware of this yet because in the lyrics I write, a lot of the most haunting elements and plots come from real experiences and occult lore with the paranormal, so we have layers. If someone does just want the background noise, they're a horror fan, they like hearing the references, it reminds me of the childhood. Great. Fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. That's partly why some of the songs are actually written the way they are. We've got them covered. But if you are at an Iron Age barrow, then you're burning incense while reading Poyment Rears because you're spooky. We also have you covered. We've seen you. We've, We've been there ourselves in many cases. So we know what that's like. It's authentic.
0: Yeah, and it's like you were saying in the previous question there that you know you can actually make that a connection that's on on not just through you know I relate to you, but you can actually make a connection through what's inside and you can relate to that. I mean, um, mm. when you when you write lyrics, I know you were saying it's uh, such as celebrating the abnormal and the unknown. Does it actually kind of I guess make you afraid to open up to people and what they might? they might have a judgment does that scare you or something about opening a part of yourself up
1: it generally does yes it it's part of my spiritual practice anyway to do a daily examinations of conscience and when reality hits you even quite mundane reality of what you've done well or bad it takes you to a new dimension especially if you're used to to talking to angels and saints to keep yourself accountable that's a very scary thing so while it's always scary knowing that someone will perceive you and and potentially judge you. But on a day to day basis, I submit to worse. So I'm used to it, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, as long as you'll be, I, I, you'll be used to
1: it. I guess it's some form yeah. of um, comfortability. Oh, it's a good thing. No, don't let me. Don't let my dramatic tone make it sound like it's a bad thing. No, it is good to share that. needs to be shared because by sharing it you give others a sense of your life you give them something of your essence and that multiplies you it expands them it broadens everything but i'm talking specifically in terms of the the fear of judgment like i try to keep myself accountable by keeping that going within my interior life anyway so it's just routine for me that's what i was trying to say i made it unnecessarily dramatic i apologize i have a habit for that No,
0: that's completely fine.
1: One of the best things I found about using these horror motifs like cryptids, occultism, mysticism, whatever you draw from in particular, because we haven't really got that on a large scale as we used to in the world. So growing up, you obviously had the fairy tales and you might have had myths if you went to like the private school, the classics, you had the Iliad and things like that. And they teach people, Beowulf, they teach people how to face the unknown and how to encounter the unknown. So it didn't seem so scary. But that's kind of been removed from popular culture. Now everything's relative and grey and themes are less clear in a lot of popular media. Not that that's a bad thing in itself. Entertainment serves a need. But it does mean that people have not really had as much of that optimism. You know, the hero overcoming the, the dangerous odds. Because that's not really what people put out these days. So I think if you have themes, if you... Look at the dark and unknown from the sense of someone just ploughing straight into them. <laughs> Not, you know, a good and evil quest because in our songs the, the good side isn't tremendously overrepresented because we explore the the bad and the dark. But that need to have the unknown in a story so people feel confident that they know what it is, they can confront it, they're immersed in it and they're doing fine. That does build a strong sense of hope, I think.
0: Is is there any songs that you would recommend today on this uh, podcast that you would say actually explore both the good and the bad for for anyone who wants to go and listen?
1: Well, hmm, we have yet to produce and master them, but the one that I can guarantee will be on the first EP will be called Bathory's Revenge. It's a, quite a well known tale, the Countess Bathory, you know, the, the Transylvanian Countess who is alleged to have drank virgin's blood and done all that to stay eternally youthful. We wrote a song not from her perspective, but exploring her state of mind. And it shows her descent and what she could have been and how she was already what she was trying to become, but she caused such damage in the process because she didn't appreciate that. So that's one to look out for. Currently, we are going into the studio starting next month when they're produced and mastered. Yeah, that one will be one of the first out. We're very proud of it. Our front woman wrote it mostly herself, actually, the lyrics. So it's uh, it's a bit of a gem.
0: It's always very, very. uh, uh, I don't know the word for it. Sorry, Um, you feel a lot, a big sense of pride when you um put so much of yourself into it and then it gets a wonderful reception as well <laughs> mm.
1: yes yes of course i have never really known that from a solo project but in Vampire, it definitely happens a lot because one of our gigs we where was it, it was over in lewisham mm. it was a lewisham gig there weren't many people there you know a lot of people paid online and didn't show up because of the weather but these three guys stuck around and they came up to us afterwards and they said, oh, yeah, that was really well done. That was incredible. That was amazing. And all of us looked a bit dumbfounded, like, are you sure? We wrote that one in about 20 minutes. But it's that spark. It's that capturing what people feel in some moment or deep down inside. It creates this instant connection, and you feel that incredible warm glow. I've not really known any other area of life I can say I've experienced that, but truly, it's something special.
0: It's wonderful that music does that for you. I mean... um, mm. If it wasn't for music, where do you think you would be now?
1: Oh, that depends, actually, because of the human rights work and everything. If I was still in that, I would probably be volunteering overseas somewhere. I don't know where. I was looking particularly into Eastern Europe, but that was always my second priority. So I was thinking of going back into international development consultancies. I would look back at working with uh, the church discasteries which are basically their charitable arms. That would have been my second goal. I also think that I may not have done tremendously well at that <laughs> because it didn't go well in the past. I'll tell you some story. It went well. It was positive. It was a good experience, but it was scary. So that may have got the best of me, in which case I'd just be in my flat on the island of Butte in Scotland, you know, the Western Isles, just spending my days swimming, drinking smoke what's the name of that alcohol smoke smokehead. yeah the one that's rock themed Mm. i'd just be wasting my days honestly to sum it up i don't think anything will get me out of bed quite as strongly as the urge to create something and make something that people can love
0: and in a sense you feel that you're doing a a force of good for the world you know you can take people away from the stress or the mundane or Um, a a particular routine that they might be stuck in and you know that they can just escape and they, they come up and thank you for it and i don't feel any any price or any anything can really match that what that feeling truly is you know
1: exactly yeah honestly that's always been the allure in any work i i do i want to go to bed knowing that i've actually made a material difference to someone hence the human rights work really although I didn't want to make it sound negative earlier. It's terrifying. It's very fulfilling, but it's terrifying. But that and and making music have the same vibe to me. You're creating something that people will have their lives improved by. And it definitely it makes every day you do that feel productive.
0: It, that that gives it you something is. to look back.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, is there is there any um, moments that have really stood out to you for the human rights work?
1: <laughs> oh well in the kind of work i was doing you don't really want your moments to stand out not gonna lie because if there's retribution let me explain from the start okay i'll stop being kind of dancing around i'll try and focus on a, a single thread right i worked in an organization that tackled malign influence it's called so that includes all ways that dictators create channels of legitimization and patronage within free societies and they corrupt institutions that quite frankly aren't the untouchables to begin with and in the UK especially London most things are available to the highest bidder it's a a very dirty city if you imagine say LA back in like 40s 50s crime novels the noir genre London Mm. is like that in real life it's like the laundromat of the world And the things that stand out to me in hindsight, obviously, there's a lot I can't really give you tremendous detail of. I will add quite a bit of detail at the end of this, but it has to be stuff that isn't secret. The things that stand out to me the most in hindsight are the things that seemed paranoid at the time, but turned out not to be. So heading into the office, we had our own building. We would obviously run through the security protocols. But a lot of people came to me with the opinion that these aren't good enough. So I didn't know what was good enough. I ended up like sweeping away snail shells on the wall outside in case they had bugs in them. Before I booked travel, I'd check on the, the doors. I'd do some open source research on the Internet about the hotels. Like, Is there a gap below the door? Does the break room open onto a loading area? Because what you're facing, even from governments nine times out of 10 in that line of work, it's not this deadly, sophisticated game of super spies like you, you'll get from a Le Carré thriller or something. Even at a fairly consequential level, it's harassment and intimidation that you've got to watch out for. Sometimes by proxies, sometimes by goons attached to diplomatic staff, diplomatic air quotes. So things will get moved in a room. Imposing figures show up on the trains you take. If you've ever, if you ever dated a woman with a, a violent stalker, you know, then I have done that. The best approximation of how angered authorities think is the violent stalker. They're not going to send a James Bond after you. They're going to send, well, local prison thug that they have known through one of their agents. It's not going to be anything glamorous. And I did begin a project. I can tell you about this one because it didn't come to pass, but it'll give everyone listening a much better idea of the kind of thing I'm describing. I was casting around for support within the organisation to start my own project which would have set up channels of discussion and encouragement within the Catholic church with the intention of getting them to establish youth camps. I was about to say where they're within Eastern Europe, North Africa kind of region. Okay. There because in those regions, a lot of influence coming from dictators, especially ultranationalist ideologues, some athletes, they set up these camps for orphans and they essentially raise them into some kind of potential paramilitary force. So they're genuine youth camps. They educate them. They teach them life skills. But they have an ideological bent. And it's a security threat. So I was speaking to other people in the organization. And I was thinking, well, can I jump in on this? And fortunately, there was a guy there who was an expert in church charity. And he said, well, you know what? Speak to these people. And off you go. Try and set up your network. And I was just in the process of beginning that right at the very beginning when eventually the whole thing got canned i can't tell you how it got canned because that'll give away who it was but security protocols weren't enough and we just couldn't really keep secure doing that kind of work any longer
0: i'm sorry to hear that
1: no it's okay i tried getting back into it several times it's an addiction but obviously you you, you mess with very serious people not directly, perhaps. The last thing they'd want to do is show their hand, but it's a serious business.
0: And it's good that you're, you're still, you know, wanting to keep pursuing that thing, I guess, for the better, betterment of our world, right?
1: Yeah, the mysticism question, if you have one loaded, that will that will get to the bottom of why I'd pursue that kind of thing. But yes, effectively, the, the genesis of it is just wanting to make a better world. At the time, I wasn't really spiritual. Okay, what I had was... Um, outside an outsized hero complex so i thought well if people are so annoyed at us that they'll take drastic action we're doing good work i'm going to go in even more you know it's that kind of vibe
0: yeah i like that that you're not gonna stand down or anything
1: yeah 100 um
0: so staying on music for um one more question i believe sorry um that's all right if you could perform anywhere in the world where would it be and why
1: Anywhere in the world. If I could perform anywhere at all, I would prefer to perform in bed. (laughs) I thought you'd catch that joke. But no. um, I like that. that. I intended to be funnier. (laughs) But no, uh, let me think seriously. Uh, Probably... There's a hard rock cafe near the Vatican, but small. No, I'd say anywhere in a anywhere in Gravesend in Brooklyn, actually. That's quite a strange thing, but I was just thinking about it right now, and the first thing that popped into my head is, A, how influential that Pretty Reckless line was when I was kind of ending my love affair with authorities. And there's also another guy from Brooklyn called Michael Franzese, who's a former mob capo. I would say boss, but technically he's not. And his books have also had a similar influence on me. I actually met him at a talk in Milton Keynes, and uh, we had a chat about business ventures. And if I could, you know, repay those those debts by slightly deafening in the neighbourhood, I think that would be a fantastic opportunity. Uh, second to that, thinking of an ambience perspective, there is a church oh it's a cathedral made of bones in Milan. It's dressed floor to ceiling with giant skull crosses. And if we had our front woman in her mask, some smoke themed like Saint Lucy's night actually, with those those big candle crowns, I think that would be a unique, a truly unique ambiance and evening. So, yeah, wow, I'd say what... that second. Actually, you know, between first and second, I can't decide. If someone, if a genie offered me them, I'd have to flip a coin, to be honest. But one of those two. There's sometimes
0: the best way to decide.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah, no, I do that all the time deciding shifts at work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what way does art benefit society, and do you believe it hurts our world in any way or form?
1: <laughs> you know, that's actually a really interesting one because. In the, the human rights stuff, you know, countering malign influence, so much of it was countering art. Because you're talking about disinformation and propaganda on the first level. And then you're, you're talking about the ideas people believe in that have been highly stylized. So I actually think art can do or can be used to do a tremendous amount of harm. It can make you want things you don't want. You can believe falsehoods. That's not its natural purpose at all. And it takes a lot of effort to make it do that. I think overall art represents or even encapsulates, actually, that's a better way of putting it, our power Mm -hmm. to create. So it's how we come to realize and understand who we are and what we are. So I think if you do not let bad people control your production of art, it will teach you about yourself. You can heal from trauma. You can enhance natural beauty. You can rebuild a a sense of space that's been erased by everything becoming some kind of commercial ground or a a through route in public space. It can give you a, a more infinite view, I think. It can give you control of your view completely. So I think while it can be used to do terrible things or encourage terrible things, that's only a perversion of what it's actually for, which is basically the opposite of that.
0: Yeah, I like that answer. That's a that's a really wonderful answer that, that you can actually take control. And my father, he always says, you know, if you don't like anything on television, you know, you've got the power. Just turn it, turn it off with the remote. Yeah. You have the um, power.
1: Hundred percent. I have not watched television. I don't want to seem like one of those edgy. Oh, I threw out my TV. People, but I do think that I'm just not watching it. Means you have a very different perspective normally, unless you just like replace it with the internet twelve hours a day, which is, which was my vice. But people who don't watch television, in my experience, have very unique perspectives that they're more than willing to share.
0: And one, yeah, one hundred percent. I I also agree with what you said there about getting the internet to, in a sense, television because it's it, from what I've experienced probably in the last ten to fifteen years, they do pump out a lot. To keep it very friendly here, I'll use a friendly word, but garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, They pump out.
1: (laughs) Human excrement. (laughs) That's a French word. It's sophisticated.
0: (laughs) Uh, We can hold our pinkies up as well, mate.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. I'm actually uh, sipping crack and rum on the porch right now. So we can indeed. My pinky is raised.
0: (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. (laughs) Um, So, actually here we go so moving on to the topic of mysticism um Mm, i I hope you're ready (laughs) i'm ready
1: i was born ready
0: (laughs) i actually had to do some research on it myself so actually um thank you for helping me to expand my knowledge i'm always looking to expand and research more wonderful things that this world has
1: to offer welcome Um, to the rabbit hole alice
0: (laughs) yeah there's the music and now there's the mysticism
1: (laughs) a good combination
0: Um, So do you personally believe humans have to suffer forms of hardship to become better? Or if not suffering, what restraints do you believe hold people back to become better versions of themselves with Um, the highest heights? And why?
1: Well, mysticism as a general term covers any attempt to unite oneself to God. So it's all divinity, actually. It's not necessarily a personal God. So it's very broad. In Christianity, the aim of mysticism is deification, becoming by grace what God is by nature, or a God in God, a fully supernatural human. And that's historically how salvation is understood. If you read the early fathers or look at the word's origins in Latin and Aramaic, being saved means having the fullness of health and life, i.e. you partake in divine life. And to achieve that, we imitate Jesus, the incarnate word and image of the otherwise unknowable father. And that can be unpleasant because it involves change. It involves introspection. It involves fighting for justice, which I've seen that hurt people, both from their own action and others. And Jesus was aware of this. He he did promise suffering and joy in adjacent sentences, probably the same breath. He made those two promises, suffering and joy. And the line is when you're brought before rulers and authorities, not if. But I think there is a bit of a disconnect between how people understand suffering. And what someone from a more classical, dare I say it, philosophical position is coming from. Because in popular culture, it's widely believed that pleasure equals happiness. That's part of Victorian philosophy. It stayed with us. I don't think it's true, because often pleasure, if you're pursuing temporal pleasure, you're often delaying your true fulfillment. So while mystics, justice campaigners, motivated people in general, perhaps... They suffer tremendously, but it doesn't make them unhappy. On the contrary, it's the times I've ignored doing things that I want to do. If I don't make desired change, that heaps unhappiness on the future self. I think what holds people back is firstly, too short-term of view. Secondly, there's quite a rational idea that if things are comfortable enough, you shouldn't risk discomfort to improve them. Makes sense. But there's also an unstated belief people have, a lot of people it's probably not universal, I've not asked enough people to know, but this idea that they don't deserve a better life. So you see people, they'll engage willfully self-destructive habits and claim to be living their best life as a justification. Or you'll see, you'll go in the house and you'll see, oh well your pets have had all their medication and then they've kind of tucked theirs away in the drawer, you know, they don't really want to get better, they're not 100% committed. And Often, if you are going to talk about mysticism to one of today's Christians, a, a disenchanted theology, the first thing they'll say is, Oh, well, by telling people they can be like God, you're giving them what they want to hear. And we're really not, because it's, well, it's not us with the mega churches. People don't give us a tenth of their earnings. People don't give mystic stand innovations. You look at someone, Say, I don't want to name names. I'm going to name names. John MacArthur, you know, he says people are inherently evil and sinful and and destructive and they can't overcome it. They just have to wait for the other side. He's worth a hundred million pounds. No monk over on Mount Athos ever had a hundred million pounds. I think there is that kind of inhibition. People recoil from the phrase, you can be like God, because they don't see themselves like that. And they believe if they did, it would do them harm because it, it sounds like pride. It turns out to be the opposite, but I don't think there's this urgency and this clarity about it, and there's a lot of self-esteem problems holding it back, which gets cast as a moral or spiritual failure, and it's not, it's self-esteem.
0: Would you say that's um, partially down to, you know, you can
1: indulge in mm. these
0: habits to make yourself feel a better person?
1: I would, actually. Thinking about that now... There is a time and a place for things that are really enjoyable. Okay, No one wants a life without fun. Fun is a divine gift. God has fun. But there is that sense of, especially now, and Dorothy Day called this out, actually, a favourite Christian anarchist of mine. Saint Dorothy Day, as far as I'm concerned. She called advertising evil because it keeps people always wanting the next thing, so they never actually realise what exists. It, It creates this kind of fantasy hyper reality i don't want to go into postmodernism at all but it keeps them in this detached state where they don't really really get to the ground of who they are there's no opportunity there's no time it definitely has its toll there's a permanent distraction and it keeps people searching for happiness outside of themselves so actually yes thinking about that now i'd 100% say that
0: yeah and then like we were saying again you know the power is in your hands to actually control what is truly in front of you to make the right choices to make yourself become a better person
1: a hundred percent and you'll notice actually if you're coming at this from a spiritual perspective the people who diminish the importance of the human person the divinity of the human person they'll also diminish free will first that's their first target like they're after the personal self-conception and self-actualization But free will is in their way. If they can get rid of free will, then they've got everything else in the bag. So that's often what they do first. Yeah, 100%. Wow,
0: yeah. And I suppose that's really easy with now so much commercialism these days, coming from uh, what we see on our phones to advertisements, um, television, word of mouth. Uh, Mm. It it can be a bit of, um, again, a bit of the... Alice
1: rabbit hole yeah honestly don't go down that rabbit hole (laughs) that is a deep rabbit hole I've uh, I've seen a lot of people they've done very well at the bottom of that hole but they're still at the bottom of a hole you know like they they lose their touch but they could criticize things for days they could promote healthy solutions one thing that got pointed out to me the other day is you know the American metric system so everything's a decimal of 10 no, not the American. They used the correct system. You know the metric system. Everything's like an abstract decimal of 10. That yeah. took people away from the interrelations between measurements used in everyday life. And you can also say the same about, you know, the time, midnight, is the start of the day. That's not natural at all. And I was looking at this guy who told me this, like, you, you, you've you gone too far. You're going too far. Come back. Join the real world. But he, he had a point. People are alienated from natural rhythms of being because of commercialism, because of abstraction. And there is a term for that it's I don't I can't pronounce the Greek, but it's called nowmatata in Saint Evagrius, it's schemata. wow well, what that didn't have to rhyme. And you see it also in, in Steiner's work in knowledge of high walls and how to Attain it. generally there's a big theme actually in older spiritual writing of directly attacking abstraction, commercialization, alienation. It's the first level of taking you away from reality, which is ultimately what you're trying to understand.
0: Uh, And once you're down in that hole, essentially you don't really realise you're there. (laughs)
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, um, a brilliant example is the Facebook algorithm. You know, people will scroll YouTube, Facebook, whatever. I I do it as well a lot, but it's the mindset because I don't realise that they're not getting random content. They're getting a reflection of themselves it's giving them what they want and it's trapping them in this increasingly difficult spot to get out of but they could be using that exact same thing to get out because they can be like well i must have had an interest in this what did this say about myself and they'll eventually come to understand themselves by using the algorithm as a a tool of self-assessment and you can climb the ladder back up it's not the end of the world there's no need for doom and gloom but it just needs to be understood as a ladder, I think, first of all. like You can go down and up.
0: That's wonder- a wonderful way to look at it. Wow, I never really thought of it like that because I know this, you know, that obviously the algorithms are always catered to what you watch more and what you like using air quotes and favourite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. But it, that's, wow, I never really thought of it like that. That's wonderful. You can use it like a ladder Mm-hmm. to understand more about oh my god I, you can learned... <laughs> use anything
1: as a ladder there's um a subset of spirituality it's very popular in catholicism nowadays ignatian spirituality now saint ignatius of loyola he was a much better <laughs> i'm gonna slightly burn him here actually he didn't do well as a soldier so he became like an armchair psychologist and by god's grace he was a very good armchair psychologist and he taught that everything is a potential encounter with transcendence so If you're in a bad situation, you can still look at your reaction to it to discover something about yourself. If you're watching the news and you know you're being kind of manipulated, lied to, or even just entertained, you can say, "Okay, well, my emotional reaction is this. And that's drawing me. So you get to understand your heart on a deeper level than where people are trying to lead you, because your responses to the people trying to lead you teach you what they're trying to lead you away from. So it's this kind of push-and-pull effect. You can never fully evade who you ultimately are, Okay, and that's a divine spark, an image of God. You can't get away from that. It can only be buried. And someone aware of it has already got the shovel in their hand. They're they're already clawing through the dirt just by hearing that phrase. So it's not hopeless. There is a tremendous amount of weight on top of that, the way we live our lives, and it's very hard to overcome that. I, I don't know many people who have. And the ones who have... A few of them kind of fall off the deep end. The others just act superhuman, to be honest. But it's not hopeless. There is a lot piling on spiritual development, personal development. People want you distracted because they want your attention advertising 24-7. There's no public space. It's a dire situation. But ultimately, that pressure is going against the grain. The grain is for humans to be divine and act like it. And I wouldn't want to be standing in the way of that force, to be honest. I, I don't envy the pressure that I'm fighting one bit.
0: And, you know, that wonderful answer is why I asked you to come on today. That was absolutely beautiful.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I This is all congealed thoughts from far better thinkers, I'm afraid. But hopefully I'll be among them one day, whether it's as a saint or... Well, actually, no, that is the aim. Hopefully it's a saint.
0: There's no limits Anyone to what we can achieve, my friend.
1: Uh, That's going to be a brilliant focus. If you've got that question of belief still on the roster, then yes, there are truly no limits. That will be a good moment.
0: That's definitely coming. Um, But there's also, um, I'm curious, how are you growing personally as an individual each day to learn more
1: in our ever-changing world? Each day? uh, I've explored many different habits, actually. And I found that tinkering causes regression more than simply not doing them so recently very recently i've organized them into a more consistent structure so each daily each daily <laughs> nice each day i try to spend time in silence like absolute silence normally late at night mental silence too just seeing what comes up and where your thoughts go bringing them back into the inside it's uh, a good way to learn what the state of your heart actually is and to feel what you're actually feeling on the inside which normally you get distracted away from and it's also a part of becoming all eye, which is part of eastern orthodox deification theology syriac actually uh, a theory from macarius about imitating the the seraphim who have eyes everywhere by building this habit of inspecting yourself and your environment yeah constantly actually I was about to say not constantly but constantly because it comes with practice and time so I'll try to spend time in silence daily working towards that I do an examination of conscience which is you reflect on your day so far you consider your gratitude what moments stood out to you and you sit in silence for advice and I've also done examinations of consciences using the Beatitudes and Psalm 15 which effectively do's and don'ts because it shows you your missteps. Because the Beatitudes is, of course, describing the, the kind of person who can who can see God, who will be deified. And Psalm 15 is about someone who can fulfill the obligations of such a person. So by comparing myself to the standards of behavior and action and productivity, in the Beatitudes and Psalm 15, I keep a handle on my excesses. I try to read... I'm not sure what you'd call them, really, because self-help is... Kind of a trash genre right now, but time-honoured books of advice. So the Gratians, Pocket Oracle, it's the the better granduncle of 48 Laws of Power, basically. And as I'm going about my day, I'll reflect on situations in their light. So I'm thinking, if I needed such and such from this person, or if I was in their shoes and didn't want to respond the way they did, what would be some steps I could take according to a certain maxim or piece of advice in the book? And if I can get the time, I will do the same with biographies of of people who excel in different fields. So currently it's Dorothy Day, Lawrence of Arabia, the Marquis de Talleyrand, Louis XIV and Liu Bang, the founder of the Han Dynasty, are all on that list. Not because I think I'm, I'm like them, but because I'd like to be. And if I can't really have the time to know so much about the world or be in exactly their shoes, I can just copy them. You don't. Know, so if you get stuck, you can just know the life of someone who is very, very good at getting unstuck and do what they do. And normally they'll carry you through just building that knowledge base, really.
0: That's a wonderful way to grow yourself as an individual, man. Whoa.
1: <laughs> yeah, it takes about 45 minutes every day overall, I think. Obviously spread out, but it's not too heavy. It's just remembering to do it. Because being part of, well, you know, Opus day it's not a too secret society, I can't tell you. Being part of Opus Day, there's also the requirements of a daily mass, a daily rosary, <laughs> and half an hour scripture reading. So, yeah, I try to fit it all in. It's not always possible, but the more the merrier. Definitely.
0: I mean, um, would you say that you've had a mentor in your life? And um, if so, tell me about the impact they've had on your life.
1: Well, the closest thing I have to a professional, formal mentor is the lady who sponsored my baptism. I was baptized in like August twenty twenty after being fairly religious for a while, but not tremendously serious with it. She is um, an Ignatian spiritual director and has been one for about fifty years. She knows everyone at the retreats, sometimes from decades ago. She has an entire contact book full of like monks and nuns. That's right? the kind of person she is and at about 86 maybe over that i don't actually want to guess but he's very elderly right she can remember being evacuated during the war you can't buy the kind of immediate clear insight and long-sightedness that comes with that kind of age and esteem it, it can't be bought so she's always been fantastic like if a problem seems intractable Even with all that other stuff I've done, which is quite common, problems can run deep and you don't really know your heart that well. If a problem seems intractable, we'll we'll talk it over. Then normally get to the bottom of it in a couple sessions. But I also pardon me, I also have to thank the front woman of the band Vampira. Over the years, you know she's been my friend, girlfriend, mentor, confidant. She's excelled in all those roles, and I think it's because overall she's just a fantastic person so she's compassionate but brave fair and just devoted to family and her animals and always thinking of other people and putting them before her own needs and i have been making a conscious effort to imitate her very much over the last few months especially
0: that's a wonderful way to start the new year as well
1: Mm, yes 100 percent. no the new year has been kind
0: well, I hope the other 11 months are, are just as kind to you, my friend.
1: <laughs> Maybe even kinder. You never know.
0: <laughs> it's a funny old world, isn't it? You never know what's really going to happen. I mean, some people, it was, um, mm. uh, what well, I, I heard a quote the other day and it was saying, um, if you're lucky enough, your heart will break. And uh, I really t- it really took me back a bit, but I, it made me realise that you can actually once once it breaks you can actually in a sense look at yourself mm. and look how you can become a better version of yourself through yes. lessons and everything and i thought wow that's that's absolutely incredible
1: <laughs> incredibly timely it comes up in one of the great repentance arms repentance is a very underrated thing because people see it as a negative because they don't remember what your aspiration is but there's a line it must be psalm 51 where it's like God will not refuse a a broken and humble heart. And in a time of crisis, including some that have happened very recently, if I feel really, really bad, you know, like things have really gone top, I'll be like, well, I'm only feeling this way because of the attachments I have to what I want out of the situation. If I can ask God for the grace of breaking my own heart and being potentially distraught, potentially uplifted at who I've actually been, with all the, the self-lies and fabrications, you know, we always see ourselves as better than we are. With all of that swept away, if I can see my actual broken heart down there, which does not reflect the glory of God as it should and as it is built to do, if I can see it, I will be so motivated and so empowered to overcome whatever the obstacle is that I will eventually one day wonder why I even worried. And that has been true in many, many, many crises throughout my life. Just if it if it feels bad, join it. You know, you'll, you'll see things clearly. It's bad. Just accept that. Respect it. Appreciate it. And see things as what they are, because that will motivate you. And you already have the strength to do better. You have the knowledge to do better. You know what's wrong. And you can definitely triumph over far greater obstacles than you think by doing that.
0: Again, a wonderful answer. I'm so happy I I asked you to
1: come on. (laughs) I'm so happy I came on. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, normally uh, I talk about this in, like, cloistered, literally, actually, literally cloistered meetings with fellow, well, far less worldly religious people. I like them completely, but they are very clinically courteous and you don't really get to the bone of the matter like you do with an interview with a friend.
0: (laughs) appreciate that (laughs) likewise Ren. um so a couple more questions to finish off tonight um Mm -hmm. thank you very much again um so through your travels in our world what is some things you've experienced from different cultures that you have that have had a profound impact on how you live your life
1: Um, i think overall i've visited and traveled in depth about 20 countries which sounds like a lot but It's about 10% of the true total, probably slightly less. So I'm not terribly worldly aware. Although the thing that does stand out to me is how people are paradoxically very similar, but very different. Because we have the same corneys. Wherever you go in the world, everyone understands family. Everyone understands work pressure. They understand broad brush virtues and priorities like (laughs) honor, wealth and the rest of it like people are fundamentally very similar in that respect but where someone grows up can have such a profound difference on how they approach a problem and it, it, they're never illogical there's no broken logic to it so i can't actually think of any examples i'd probably make a, a complete injustice of someone's cultural viewpoint but the way people go about tackling things when they have different priorities and even a different syntax to their sentences a different subject and verb arrangement. You know, it creates a, a different way of approaching life's knots. And most of them seem completely logical and coherent. And the thing that I take from that before anything else is there's always another way. So if you feel stuck or even if you just feel let down to an extent by your own beliefs, which happens to a lot of people, I'd imagine, if you just feel let down by what you expected, if you feel like you can't progress past a certain point or that you've done everything there is to do so you've been really successful you can always find new hope in just what if you had a different priority let say you prioritize wealth and you become really successful and famous but say you define wealth slightly differently say you say even a small change like say it's assets instead of cash that can give you a completely new focus and that's the kind of thing that people do get brought up in in different environments those kind of tiny apparently cosmetic changes build up to make very different people and it's fantastic seeing them wherever you go in the world and well i wish i spoke more languages to truly learn so that's a very much surface perspective but it's encouraging most of all it's encouraging and educational
0: yeah you know that it's wonderful that you there's there's a whole world out there and you can experience like you were saying you can experience these and from where people raised can have a, uh, I guess, a profound impact on, you know, what they will be like from Japan, you know, where, where they sit on pillows to eat their food, to um, you can travel over in the Middle East and travel on camels. Mm, it, it, uh, yeah. it, oh, it, it just absolutely fascinates me on how much culture is really, really out there.
1: Honestly, it's, it's incredible. Um, I always have the habit when I'm going on holiday, I'm actually a terrible traveling companion because I'll travel really light. Like if I'm going away for two weeks, I'll maybe have one item of hand luggage and it's mostly books and my phone charger. (laughs) And I'll make it my mission to go, honestly, it is bad. Like I never come back on time. And I'll try going to the most remote possible place I can and seeing everything on the way. Or I'll just, if it's a city break, I'll just walk around the city, no itinerary. And you do see a lot more that way because you realize that, you know, in, in your local environment, you've got the, the Dells and the Dens and the alleys that have their own story and things have uh, their own quirks and character. It's the same all over. A country is in several million different perspectives, at least. And there's such range, even in a small area. Like take Norway, for instance. Me and uh, the front woman, Kelsey Lee, we went on a trip together to Norway. And I had the objective of seeing the Northern Lights, so did she but it was a road trip we rented a car we had a place we'd stay up near Narvik and it was a a complete tone change because we didn't have a clue what we were doing in Norway right there was heavy storms we had to take a mad dash to the Lofoten Isles to get the last ferry we ended up diverted I think it was at Saltfjellet somewhere south of on the European E12 anyway we got diverted the mountain road was shut we ended up going through half of Sweden to get back to Trondheim for our flight (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) it was very fun honestly like that was the best part of the trip for me because swedish roads were so clear but it's coming out of your element you see a lot more you're a lot more observant and everything seems so much deeper i wish i could stay in that to be honest because even driving around swedish roads at about 10 p.m just looking at the road signs that will pop up occasionally looking at apparently endless and well some would probably see it as very dismal forest it just goes on and on and on and on and on you'll occasionally pass a town everyone has identical cladding you know it's dull but because you're not used to it and because it's not your element you're actually really in it into it and you'll see so many small details you'll miss so yeah i appreciate travel for that i went on a bit of tangent there just praising scandinavia but good fun no that that's good
0: because i I guess some people could in a sense what i don't know that you don't know what is coming next but then Mm. that's another beautiful part about it that you you don't know what's coming next so that's the adventure for it you know
1: (laughs) yeah i think also like building on that a lot of people overestimate the danger so when i went to palestine or when i went to morocco or when i went to montenegro even people were like well are you sure that you know they're they're safe places aren't they like pickpockets or because kelsey lee is a goth we'd be cautioned by my parents and hers and sometimes by myself Like you you can't go there because they'll look at you funny and yeah you know what While people they always frown outsiders to an extent everywhere but the world is not as dangerous as it's often made out to be it really isn't like nine times out of ten people would rather more frankly they'd rather walk on by than either help or into you but they're going to probably force themselves to help it's it's a reliable place even if you don't speak the same language and that's something that's incredibly compelling in itself i think because you can rely on people you don't know and the more vulnerable you seem often the more you can rely on them not always disasters happen but there's no need to be pessimistic
0: and it shows you more light in this world as well <laughs> yes
1: 100 percent yeah like, I think that's partly why I go out. Um, if I'm, if I'm travelling, I'll go out as light as possible. I didn't even take a, a charger on my last trip to Rome, which was yeah, the 17th of December last year. Actually, yeah, there was an Amy Lee concert going on at the same time. That's how I know it was the 17th. I didn't take a charger at all. And I thought, oh, it's all right, I'll get one there. And Mum was flustered and, and panicking, like, you need a charger, otherwise you can't charge your phone. I'm like, I will find a charger. I'll, I'll ask somehow, you know. And in the end, it just turned out to be this tiny corner shop owned by a a Turkish bloke who couldn't really speak English or Italian, to be frank, and he just gave me a (laughs) bit of a discount because he could see I was – probably thought I was more clueless than I was, but, yeah, he he was kind, you know. You can depend on that kind of thing most times, at least nine times out of (laughs) ten.
0: Hopefully we push it to ten out of ten sometime in the
1: future. (laughs) Oh, yeah, well, it's always ten out of ten if anyone fancies doing anything like dangerous in a remote environment with me when we're badly undersupplied. Then it's 10 out of 10, guaranteed. (laughs) Um,
0: So what three beliefs do you hold dear to you? And why do you hold them dear? Or in a (laughs) sense, follow them as well?
1: (laughs) Well, these may seem contradictory. okay? but I am, as you know, a Christian. Um, A Christian anarchist is technically the same thing, but I'll say an anarchist and an occult enthusiast. So let me explain these. I'll try to be as, as quick as I can. Are we on a time limit here or got all the time in the world my friend all the time in the world okay well as a christian um an old school but on a deeper level than old-fashioned christian mystic i believe the purpose of human life is deification not just of ourselves but creation creation through us so we become gods like iron in a furnace becomes flame runs the, the phrase it's a classic description so infused with that heat and light we join the divine council the world of spiritual principles, you know, that's another underrated point you don't really get. But basically, God the Father is unknown, completely unknowable, except through the Son, who is the Word, and his angels. And the spiritual principles are angels and vice versa. So behind everything you see, so you've got an angel of flame governor. As humans join that, we join the Divine Council. And creation participates in the Creator through the Father in Christ and his saints, who are those who act like him. And the ultimate consequence of this is that God becomes all in all. And you arrive at something which Saint Evagrius called the unity. There's neither ruler nor ruled because all shall be gods. And John of Pamia called us gods in God, which is a phrase that I really like, mostly because it shocks (laughs) kind of more held back evangelicals to the core. It's like, what are you talking about? But no, gods in God. I said what I said. Jesus said it in John 10, 34, but you didn't listen then. So I'm going to say it again. And in practical terms, that does lead to anarchism. It's the belief people can govern themselves. They're created to govern themselves. And if that's not true, if people do need government to manage their own affairs, then, well, they can't govern others, really, can they? So you arrive at the same conclusion. And that does lead on to the question of how do you reconcile that with the kingdom of heaven? And it's it goes back to something else Jesus said in Matthew twenty twenty five to 27. I'm not good with verses because I just kind of read and go, but he contrasts the kingdom of heaven, which relies on compulsion. Uh, he contrasts worldly kingdoms, which rely on compulsion and expropriation with the heavenly hierarchy, which is of mutual support and illumination. The first people in the heavenly hierarchy are those who serve the most. They give the most of themselves. And that's how the angelic hierarchy works as well. So when we say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that challenges structures that work the other way around. That challenges mortal structures. So if you believe that love is as strong as death and sharp as the grave, quoting Song of Songs, my favorite Bible book, you are a problem if power depends on trying to prove the opposite. And if you are going to be a problem to power, whether that's power you have to do bad or power outside and in christian anarchism the emphasis is always on the first one you need to empower others you need to to strengthen protect to bring out the best in them to make them comfortable to talk from the heart and you need to do that no matter what the cost will be which is a very tough thing to say actually because you don't know when you make the initial oath and it is part of the oath of baptism at least in the long form you don't know what the cost will be, and you can try to limit the cost. You can not be daft. You don't have to pretend you can fly. You can acknowledge your limitations. But ultimately, if you undertake that quest, you are bound by oath to strengthen, protect, bring out the best, to support, to raise debts, to forgive. You ultimately build a platform for people to become gods, to become their best selves. And I should expand on that, actually. There might be an impression that when we say become God, we mean cease to be human. That's not the case. The exchange formula, another classic phrase, is that God became man, so man might become God. A human becomes fully supernatural and fully human and fully themselves by this. It's no debasement. And that's the aim. Um, If I can summarise all of that very quick, it will be in a a C.S. Lewis quote. I can't remember if it's in Mere Christianity or in his lectures but he said it's a serious thing to live in a world of gods and goddesses because everyone you see is either a creature that at their best would be something you would be sorely tempted to worship and at their worst a complete abomination and everything you do determines whether someone will move further towards one or the other so it's a very serious thing and it's easy to get wrapped up in the pressure of that if you don't keep yourself grounded but at the same time it's a very easy thing because you can do most of the work simply by saying less you know if you're having an emotional day maybe just keep your mouth shut if you are owed 10 pounds by someone and you know they're having a tough time maybe just do an extra hour at work it can be so simple but it's a demanding thing to bear in mind and i think in the interplay between being simple and being demanding is its practical value. So I believe in this ultimate Christian anarchist eschatology, you know, end state. But it's such a simple thing, you know. You you can buy an extra double. Say if someone wants a single at the bar, you can be like, oh, I can get you a double. There you go, that's Christian anarchism. You're giving from your own resources. You're acting more like God. It can begin and end there, depending on someone's taste. It doesn't have to be fancy. But it's such a good way to live. It's such a such an all-encompassing goal it kind of unites and integrates your different person threads behind it so as a unity you can then talk of unity with while knowing what you're talking about you know you've lived it you've experienced it you represent it it's a good aim i have not met many people who fully embody it especially not unfailingly but it is possible and people have the power to to be that being that others would be sorely tempted to worship it can happen it can exist. People have that radiance in real life. You can see them in very holy places, but it's real.
0: Wow! You know, every time I do one of these, they the the answers people give. They, uh, I think I know someone, and then they give an answer, and it just opens a whole new door for me uh, for how <laughs> I view them now.
1: And yeah, it's a fun <laughs> one, isn't it? That's why it's so important to share.
0: <laughs> it really is. It, it's a it's a wonderful way to view it. Th- like you think you know someone, but then. they they say something and it just opens up a whole new door of like, wow, I never saw this amazing side of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you get wrapped up in pub banter sometimes. I've noticed it actually, you know, when you're talking to friends. I'm like this generally, maybe not to the same extent, but I do act as though I would talk about this stuff, you know, if someone asked, because it makes them comfortable in turn and it does surprise people actually because if you go around like that if you just casually throw your experience with the ghosts into the conversation or whatever you know you you break the ice you'll often find the same comes back there is this element and it comes back to vampire itself actually and it's focus on on occult things that are grounded in a level of reality this element does exist in life around us common life like people have their haunted side they have their eldritch side they want more transcendent supernatural stuff i always said to people on this line that if you want to learn about spirits and you want to learn about ghosts you don't really want an occultist or a mystic because nine times out of ten people who use that label i do it for identification purposes but people who sell themselves on that label they don't know what they're on about you know what you want instead is someone who's lived in a victorian house Or you want someone who has been an end-of-life care nurse or just worked in any kind of care environment because they've all got stories for days and they're all deeply aware of it and they've reflected on it. But you wouldn't know that unless you actually broke the ice to speak to them. And it's the case with a lot of people, including ones you'd least suspect. So, yeah, it's always good to make people comfortable to share what they want from the heart. And the best way to do that is to selectively reveal the ways you're strange yourself, you know. Not overexposed, no one necessarily wants that, but be comfortable with yourself and people will be comfortable around you, I guess.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, it's not, you don't overly expose.
1: Yeah, seven months isn't a. Ch- <laughs> Did you hear that sentence? <laughs> I don't want to talk over that. Like, slip in something small. That's how you can expose yourself. Jordan Oliver Cameron 2023. Thank you for coming on my show. That was a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> but yeah exactly like, i meant it more in the sense of keeping the element of mystery because if you seem it's not you don't have to mean it in like a you know a manipulative toxic way that's often how it's sold in in books like 48 laws of power screw that if you keep an element of mystery by letting people know you're into abnormal stuff whichever everyone is to an extent if you keep the element of mystery they'll close the gap between you and that's what they'll feel when telling you about themselves which is a good experience to share it, you can abuse it like you can abuse anything else but it's a good thing and i think more people need that habit of just saying in a casual conversation you know if you're talking about where you grew up just be like oh yeah well i think the house was haunted there you go boom done or it doesn't even have to be supernatural just something unusual about your taste like maybe you collect stamps or you have a a certain drink bottle at home that's not been opened in 20 years just anything that's you know it doesn't quite fit the environment but it doesn't contradict it either Getting into that as a good habit will help you know so much more about the people around you and they'll enjoy your company more and you will help them grow into the, the worshipful beings that they really are.
0: What a wonderful answer again. <laughs> They're more
1: than welcome. I don't know where they were coming from tonight, to be honest. I feel like I've just read so much stuff and tried to in it and prayed about it that it just kind of slips out now. <laughs> yeah. And that's how you expose yourself. <laughs> we've dug too, too deep tonight <laughs> yeah no we, we've gone too deep we have found the rabbit
0: <laughs> and now we're
1: gonna pet it <laughs> indeed well yeah i <laughs> don't want to speculate but yeah <laughs> um
0: so finally um i don't want to keep you any longer um and thank you again for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure um but what is one thing you'd say to anyone today who might be listening who is struggling to find positivity in their lives and finding it hard to work to new heights they can achieve in this world.
1: Hmm. One thing, only one thing. Let me have a quick thing. I'll try and keep it brief. I would just like to point out that you are made to be supernatural, and that's not an abstract statement. Every desire you've had is not necessarily something you could have done, but it's a testament to the fact that you can have these desires and they are plausible. So if you take some time in silence, just go for 10 minutes, shut yourself in the cupboard and just see where your thoughts go, you will have a a renewed sense of purpose and you will have renewed confidence in yourself. And you'll realize that there's something more than what's on the surface. You know Things that can be so distracting, just spend 10 minutes in silence. I guarantee, actually, it's a very common thing these days because people can't really do it you find people and they're like oh i need to sleep with something on or i sleep with the fan on or i always have the stereo on in the car because the first thing people feel when they go into silence is rage and i'm like that if i'm at eucharistic adoration the first thing that comes up is anger because like there's so much anger in people but that's how it comes out that's how it comes out build the habit 10 minutes a day silence see where it goes you'll get to know yourself a lot more at the very least and that's always valuable
0: because I guess when you know yourself a lot more that you can know where to grow, like we've said.
1: <laughs> exactly, yes. And the surprising thing is, it doesn't actually take words. I don't know if you can hear uh, the DIY going on down the other end the all, but it doesn't take words. It sounds very stupid and feels stupid at first because you're just, you know, you're concentrating on nothing in particular, really. And it's like, well, I, I didn't get anything out of that. But if you do it with some consistency, you do change your approach to life and good things come from that, guaranteed.
0: That's a wonderful way to end it. Thank you very much for coming on tonight, James.
1: Thank well You're more than welcome. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you for checking out today's episode. If you enjoyed, please consider dropping a subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and share with a friend. It will mean so much to me. Thank you. See you in the next one.